yes, the Odd Job Pod is back after a brief hiatus. You'll be happy to know that there have been no contract disputes here, though, as uh, we do our duty for Queen and country. This is the Odd Job Pod. I am Gary Andrews. I'm joined as ever by uh, Terry DeFallon and Graham Sibley. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. 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 Um, and I hope you're all excited because we are now through to Pierce Brosnan's Canon and uh, a film that is beloved by many, Goldeneye, uh, the first Bond outing after a six year delay. Um, it's a film that I think is beloved of a lot of people. It's a film that has a very interesting place in the Bond franchise as a whole. Um, and Graham, that's partly because there was a hell of a lot riding on this film, wasn't there? Oh, well, certainly. Uh, big gap. Um, a lot of talk about whether or not Bond was still relevant. Uh, and, and yeah, it was the, the whole studio was depending on Bond. It was uh, because Bond was the cash cow. And because it had been so long, would it still work? Would, would, the, would, the, would that gun still fire? <laughs> or did they need to bring in CGI, which the uh, the answer is absolutely <laughs> yes in, in this one. Um, Terry, yeah, we've we've kind of entered into a, as Graham said, a new era, but it's also a, an era where, yeah, we we've, we've obviously talked in our last podcast about true lies. We're now into a place where um, it's not just that there has been a long gap between bonds. But the world has almost, you know, literally has completely changed from the world that um, License to Kill uh, inhabited. Yes, well, the Cold War ended. So it's a really strange sort of period, isn't it? Because it was this, this, James Bond um, didn't have the opportunity to sort of react to the the ending of the Cold War, the air, the, the brink, the, you know, the, the, the Berlin Wall coming down, you know, the reunification of Germany, the end of the Soviet Union, all the stuff that went on that brought about the end of the Soviet Union, because it just didn't just just go overnight. It was a lengthy um, and often, oftentimes bloody process as well. Um, and it, it, it had happened uh, by the time uh, they got their uh, act together and got their, got their lawyers all sorted out and they were able to, to make this film. Um, and so... It was almost like a kind of well, why don't we try and take stock of of all of this? And the, there's a lot of imagery in the movie that that's got that that sort of denotes this passing of an age. And of course, they use that in the narrative of the film as well. There's themes in the film as well about Bond. Bond is perhaps going through something of a reinvention, maybe something of an existential crisis that's being expressed in the film as well, um, which is quite interesting. Not not to the extent where it you know gets in the way of the action um you know not to any seriously deep level but but there are there are acknowledgements that that James Bond must change uh, in this film um and and it's it's it was it made it an extremely watchable very enjoyable uh, movie uh, as a, as a consequence and at the time i remember feeling feeling a sense of renewal having watched it mm, it's um it's a very it's an interesting proposition. It's different from uh, from Dalton. Um, it's different from Moore. It's different from Connery. But as well, Graham, like where they landed the plot, and, and this is a plot that um, wasn't really lifted from a Fleming novel um, in this case, 
Um, obviously, because the Cold War had ended and, and most of Fleming's stuff is based around the Cold War. Um, but you, they've, they've got a plot which really, I think for me, um, was quite clever in that it harked, as Terry said, it harks back to that um, slightly, you know, that, that era in Bond where, you know, you have the villains who are, you know, the Soviets. But at the same point, it's completely moved on. Um, so it feels very safe as Bond, but it's also quite uh, a brave element of, of scripting as well for me. Yeah, yeah, sure. It, it it does try to get a lot of elements in there. You're you're stealing uh, prototype helicopters, satellites, uh, and uh, you're you're introducing computer hacking as well. So you're, but in the end of the at the end of the day, you're still just robbing a bank, aren't you? Um, which is which is good. I mean, this this we, we, uh, this takes elements from a lot of the the Bond films that we love. There's a, a bit of Goldfinger in there, and there's a, a bit of You Only Live Twice in there, I'm sure, and and, and lots of other lots of classic uh, Bond. But as Terry says, updated. Um, they even bring back the DB uh, the DB five. It's it's not the exact one. There's a slight change on the number plate. Number plate nerds. Yeah, you you know you know what I'm talking about there. Um, uh, and uh, so it it does bring it out there. But yeah, it does have this sort of uh, sort of introspective feel about it. I mean, they they, they have that lovely sort of scene in Q's uh, in Q's den uh, where he's going through all all of the, uh, the the thing. Desmond's looking a bit old in there, obviously, and you can see him looking off at the cue cards as well while he's while he's reading out his very technical stuff about a belt. Um, but yeah, none of that detracts because it, it's all lovely and and. And it all just goes to prove, yes, of course you can have a Bond film in the 90s. It, it seems weird now. So, well, is, the, is Bond still relevant in the, in the 90s? And asking that question in 2022. It, you know, it's a, well, yeah, of course he is. Yeah, sixties Bond isn't relevant, and I think this is what 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 Brosnan said said at the time. He says, "Yeah, nineteen sixties Bond isn't relevant in the nineties, so you have a nineteen nineties Bond. That's what you do. You move with the times, and that's what he's always done. And it had been around for thirty odd years then, anyway, and had moved with very very different times." Uh, and I was going to say on, on that as well. We, we're in a place where you know I think it's a very I'm glad we did our last podcast actually because we love talking action movies. But but Terry, it's it's at a place where, as Graham said, is Bond relevant? Was actually probably a more relevant question to ask when Goldeneye came out than probably at any other time within the franchise. Because James Bond is perceived as being obviously well, because James Bond is a spy, he's a secret agent, and so therefore the life and work of secret agent is defined by the Cold War. But as Graham has quite rightly pointed out, James Bond movies are in also, they also have, you know, jewel thieves and gold thieves. They also have, you know, terrorist organisations and, you know, and, and I hesitate actually to call Spectre a terrorist organisation. They use terror, but they are also thieves. They're embezzlers. They're extortionists, you know. Um, and, and, and so there was always going to be, there's no reason why James Bond couldn't continue along those lines because so many of his ventures do actually stop just criminals rather than necessarily political enemies the political enemies in james bond tend to actually sort of like sit adjacent to the story sometimes or there'll be maybe allies even and stuff like that there were during the cold war there wasn't necessarily that thing to sort of necessarily make the russians the enemy 
because they felt that it would stoke up Cold War sentiment and stuff like that. So they would they would often in back in the sixties spy. Uh, spy shows from the 1960s used to used to use made up country names as enemies because they didn't want them to 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 be too on the nose for for I just think for genuinely for kind of propaganda reasons so there was no reason why Bond uh, couldn't continue but that doesn't alter the perception and the perception being that you know the Cold War is over secret agents are no longer required we naively said to ourselves you know History has changed. Capitalism has won. Yay, capitalism. And, and, and everything's going to be fine. So um, we don't need secret agents anymore. But of course, you know, that's nonsense. Um, and, and so, but I think what was clever was taking that head on by saying, look, the Cold War is over, but we're, going to, we're still going to go to Russia. In fact, we're going to do what we haven't really done before, and we're going to go to Russia. Um, and we're going to, hit, we're going to, we're going to tackle that, that issue, that demise of the Cold War, and use that as the backdrop for the next adventure, for a criminal organisation. And Russian gangsters by 1995 was very much a thing. Um, and, and, and it tapped into that as well. And it was a very clever idea and it brought it bang up to date, in my opinion, while at the same time acknowledging that there has been a, a, a passing of an era as well. And, uh, and, and it, it works really, really well. And, of course, it's a bang up script, you know, really well directed, brilliantly acted and brilliantly cast so had all of that going for it too mm, there's there's a lot in there um and just to keep on the russia thing graham obviously um there's a there's a first as well in that bonds did film in russia um and that's something that would have probably been almost unthinkable in in you know other eras um and yet i that kind of placing of bond in this kind of post-cold war element and, you know, almost that Russian cooperation in there. I think it's interesting for me how much um, you've got that element, you know, allowing Bond to film in Russia, that Russia is essentially going, hey, yeah, we've changed. Look, we can we can also allow Bond in here. And actually, we don't mind if you show off the mad generals and kill them off because that's not who we want to be seen as anymore. <laughs> yes, and uh, also, yeah, uh, <laughs> don't get anyone local to be the, uh, to, to, to be the gangster because it might be a bit too on the nose. Um, so, yeah. Let's get a Glaswegian in to do that. Yeah, that that'll work. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, they they make a a, a better fist of uh, filming in 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 Russia than than Red Heat did anyway. So that's um, going back to our action movie conversation from last time. Uh, yeah, uh, the scenes in St. Petersburg are great. I, I actually went to St. Petersburg in uh, in 2018 uh, for the World Cup. And I was staying in the, the, the area where all that was filmed around by the uh, by by the Palace and the Admiralty. Uh, so it was it was a lot of fun for me just walking down down the streets and seeing oh, this is where this is where Bond drove a tank. You know, this is where all the larders were getting crushed and everything. Oh, it's brilliant. Yeah, happy days. <laughs> yeah. That that tank scene, Graham, is you know just a, keeping that because you are the man, you are our man on the grounds in in there. Um, that tank scene is so iconic. It, it's when one of those things. I think when you think of Goldeneye, you think yes. of Pierce Brosnan. Yes, in yes, a tank. you do, and it it is one of those those things where Bond throughout the eighties had been going through a variety of different vehicles, like like a two CV or a, or a souped up tuk tuk, and and and. Moving away from the car and going to to more comedic things like half a French taxi as well, and 
And, and those things are fun. <laughs> they're, they're hilarious. Um, <laughs> a, a gondola that turns into a <laughs> into a hovercraft, yes, which we have talked about a lot. Yeah, Roger Moore had a lot of fun in in his vehicles. Um, but yeah, so what? How how do you go on to that? You can't go more ridiculous than the vehicles that 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 that, that Moore was 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 chasing around in. So yeah, why not go for a tank? Go and do it, and then and then at the moment work out a way of how you can destroy it. Oh yeah, I'll leave it on the tracks and let a train just plow into it. Yeah, that'll do me. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it's one of the many things that make it make Goldeneye really fun. Um, and Terry as well. Let's um, obviously we've we've kind of just done a lot, a few minutes in terms of setting the context in there, but you've also got a new Bond, which um, you know had things been differently um we would have been not talking about goldeneye we would have been talking about a property of a lady uh instead and um yeah it's it's a very different change and and brosnan i mean let's talk about brosnan because he's um you know his his set of films um probably is rarely going to to trouble the top five of anybody with the exception of, of goldeneye um but yeah what the, the MGM had been waiting for a long time to get Brosnan, um, and that delay meant they got him. How do you feel that kind of, again, shifted it from, you know, you've gone from the 80s comedic more um, in the, the latter parts, you know, where a lot of it was played for a, for a bit of laughs and played up to Roger to very gritty Dalton. So now we have Pierce. I was really happy when Pierce Brosnan finally got the role because obviously I knew that it had been in the offing for some time. You know, we were all at the time, a lot of people had watched Revington Steel and had watched him and gone, this guy's like, like pucker James Bond would be a great James Bond. I think uh, anyone who watched The Fourth Protocol as well, um, a film that was made a few years earlier, although he played a Russian spy, would have probably have thought, gosh, you know, he's, he's really, he's fantastic. Let's have him in. And and it was, it was great. It was a, I think it was a popular choice, almost universally popular choice to have Pierce Brosnan in. The, the kind of Bond that he plays, I wonder if a lot of it is actually informed by his predecessor. I think that maybe if he had followed immediately on from Roger, he might have been a little bit more like Roger in tone. He might have been a little bit lighter. He might have been a little bit, you know, not that he didn't make jokes, but he might have been a little bit more more easy to sort of like tap in on that that humorous side of the character. But I think that that because obviously the things had changed a, a lot and that there was a statement that needed to be made about this movie, that, that Brosnan had to just to add a little bit of extra seriousness to the role, uh, a little bit of extra Bond authenticity to the role, and there are not in this film, but in subsequent films, there are wonder. I that I, I I can sometimes find that that his performance mm. of Bond actually jars a little bit. I don't think he's helped by the quality of the scripts. But in this film, it's a very high quality script. It's a very consistent, mostly consistent movie. It, it, it's got its comedic beats, which kind of jar a little bit with me. But 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 in general, it's a really consistent performance by Pierce Brosnan as James Bond, and he is. I mean, like you, walk, I walk, remember walk. I went to see that picture at the uh, Odeon, uh, sorry, the ABC in Broadgreen in Croydon, and walked out thinking that is James Bond, and there's no, no doubt about it. Um, so you know, there's no argument there. I mean, he's, I think he's a hugely, still a hugely popular James Bond, um, and for good reason. Albeit that, yeah, sadly, I think Goldeneye is really his only 
genuinely decent outing. Everything else has to be forgiven in some way, shape or form. Mm, Graham, he, for me, um, Brosnan combined an awful lot of elements of all the other Bonds beforehand. Whereas when you look at, at one Bond to the next, there is generally a bit of a tonal shift. But, and, and obviously there is a tonal shift because Dalton was was kind of a very gritty late 80s Bond, um, very much reflective of the era. But yeah, you've got your grit, you've got your lightheartedness, you've got a little bit of the Connery brutality in there and a little bit of, of kind of, yeah, everything that's, that the 90s male um, was probably supposed to be. Um, we, we all know how that turned out. Um, but yeah, I mean, how... <clears throat> How do you feel kind of Brosnan shapes up? Does does he take elements of the other Bonds from you and, and kind of mould them into his own? Or is is Pierce very much his own kind of man and not informed what went beforehand? I, I think the problem is um, that if, if you analyse uh, Brosnan's uh, interpretation of Bond, is that it, he wants to be Connery, but everyone treats him as more because <laughs> he he's... He has got that sort of thing about him, that little twinkle that 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 is. He he does he doesn't really strike you as someone who's going to kill you in cold blood, and he does it. He does it in in I think in all the films. He does. There are some some very he he, he does come across as as dark in it. Um, and and it's interesting when you look back at the films. You did you, uh, Terry mentioned uh, the Fourth Protocol. I think his first film would have been. Uh, the Long Good Friday, mm. it? and it doesn't have a doesn't have a big uh, uh, role in that, but he but he does have an important role in that, and and so it's it, that's where he's coming from. But I suppose when you think he was still quite young when he when he started on Remington Steel, I think he was still in his twenties when, when when he began that, and that was what fourteen years before he, it, this was made, and that was light. That was that was a lightweight show. Really, it was it was um, for for listeners who aren't familiar with the series because it was an eighty series and you probably don't see it re- uh, repeated anywhere. The premise of it was, uh, I think she was an, a private investigator, wasn't she, who couldn't get um, noticed because she was a woman, and and all of a sudden this this guy turns up to her off. Well, she creates this persona called Remington Steele, and so. That's the way she gets business because Remington Steele's meant to be this this bloke who does does all the investigations, and she's just the assistant when really she's the one who's doing it all. And then all of a sudden he turns up one day claiming to be Remington Steele, and and he's a con man and thief and doesn't even know his real name. And that's how it goes for I think uh, I think almost a hundred episodes. It was a it so, was a long running show, yeah, long running show, very 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 popular show, and and part of the 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 uh, the. The, the show's success was, of course, Pierce Brosnan and his screen presence. And But I, I, the nature of the show was that he was bumbling. He was a fraud. Uh, and and so when you get a role like that and it's so popular and people are watching it over and over and over again, that's what people assume he is. And, that, and if you look at the other roles he's had since then, he's had this sort of like fraudulent thing about him, this sort of like too suave, nature about him um and and so and he's played up to that um i don't know if if, if we're going to have time to talk about the thomas crown affair doing a, a remake of that film and, and and that that doesn't sit well because 
it's Pierce Brosnan doing it. It's not Steve McQueen doing it. So it's. Um, but then again, you get stuff like uh, the Taylor of Panama. I, I really enjoyed that. That's a film. That's, that's a great yeah. film. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So when he comes into to Bond, I think. I mean, it, it, perhaps it's a bit a bit cruel to say that that he wanted to be Connery, but everyone assumes he's more. And I I, I think he he plays it the way that Lazenby wanted to play it. And I think that's probably that 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 isn't a bad way of, of looking at it. I think if if La- if Lazenby had the chops, he would have been the same Bond, I think, as Brosnan. I think capable of, of doing things and uh the the because he, he he lives in this role that where comedy is 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 not anything he's gonna be afraid of at all. He's not gonna have any worries with that. And I think with the action scenes he he he, he does those commendably as well. There's lots of things he does better than other Bonds, but there are other things that he doesn't do as well as bon- as other Bonds. And I think people concentrate on the stuff he doesn't do well as the, the stuff that he does really well. And and there, there is a lot of stuff there, and the, which makes his films enjoyable, even when they're not very good. Mm. Yeah, he's a, he's a really... He is a... The best way to think about Pierce is he is that complete bond. He's, he takes everything, takes a bit from everywhere. And and the, but the the danger is, I think, the problem is, is that the audience can project their own feelings about him onto him. That maybe definitely, he's not strong definitely. enough to be able to impose his bondness on the audience. That perhaps we are looking at traces of bonds that we like in the past in him. And maybe that's maybe that's the issue, which is which is a shame. I think he's he's he's. His legacy is tarnished by the fact that the, the, the quality of the movies decline per instalment. This is the best Pierce Brosnan James Bond film. The second best is the second one. The third best is the, is the third one. And the fourth best is the, is, is, is the fourth one. And, and, it, and, it goes into the, and it goes into decline like that, sadly. And so we never really get the opportunity to see uh, the best of him beyond this film. And he's got tons to do in this movie. Um, and you know, and the one of the few things that, and that's one of the rare, one of the few criticisms that you can level at him at in, in this film. I mean, beyond the you know the silly running, and you know the you know, and and when he's in pain, his you know, what was it the rest the resting sex face that you that you called it, Gary? Was it? <laughs> yes, it's um, it, it definitely. If you if you are disturbed by the thought of Pierce Brosnan's resting sex face, do not under any circumstances rewatch The World Is Not Enough. Um, it's, or at uh, least it not with you... our commentary, anyway. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I don't know. I think it probably yeah. makes the film better. Um, but yes, I mean, and, and Terry as well. Like just to to carry on a little bit in terms of Brosnan, like we we discussed as well when Dalton came into the role. Um, he was given some lines that were very much more Roger Moore-like lines, and he kind of struggled with them a little bit because that wasn't Tim's style. And one of the things, and this is probably one of the more bizarre sentences I'll ever utter on a podcast, is that I don't think I could imagine Tim Dalton being crushed between Famke Janssen's thighs in a movie at all, yet you can entirely with Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, that's a great scene. That's just a great scene. It's a, it's a, it's it, it's a it's a wonderful scene. Obviously, it's Famke Janssen more than plays her role in in the success of that film. But we're talking specifically about Pierce. But he he shows a huge amount of panache in that movie. The fact that he did do most of his action stunts 
um, uh, really, really massively helps because it, obviously it helps the director to be able to set up the shop, the shot rather, in a way knowing that you're not having to conceal the the act of the stuntman's face or, or 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 get too close. So you so it's it's a beautifully coordinated scene as well, um, and and you know the way she just like he just like dumps her on the hot coals and then onto the floor picks up the gun and goes no more foreplay that's one of the great scenes in james bond you know so it's in and it's a hallmark of the of the film um graham i just wanted to kind of again bring in again probably a little bit more of of, of context as well because behind the scenes obviously this is um this is a film where you have had a few people replaced obviously certain obvious ones no morris binder but also cubby broccoli taking a, a bit of a step back for health reasons he passed away quite soon after the uh, the film was released so you've got something interesting going on behind the scenes as well as uh, and obviously the legal dispute as well as what is uh, what you're seeing on screen and a new cast uh, and some some new soon to be familiar faces as well I, I think in many ways it helps it helps the franchise move with the times um, because there are lots of callbacks to 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 what went on before but you know, this had been going for 32 years, and so a lot of people weren't around anymore. Uh, they they'd worked on a lot of films. Um, they they, but the imprint is there, so they don't go too wild. Um, the the score, which I'm sure we'll go into uh, like later, is very different, but is in keeping with the time. They. Uh, the tank chase scene, which I'm right, Terry, was 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 actually done by someone else, wasn't it? Um, John Arnold. John Arnold did, yes. did, did, did uh, which, which was more um, no relation to 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 David. I, I, I take it. Uh, no, I always may I may have also got his name wrong. Sorry, John Altman. Sorry, I think. All <laughs> right, John. Altman. Uh, and I don't think he's a relation to Robert Altman, but uh, John Altman uh, did the uh, did, did the tank chase, scored the tank chase sequence, which which was really just a reworking of the of the theme, wasn't it? Really, the the, yeah. the, the James Bond. Theme, Can you bond so. it up a bit, mate? Please. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like this, but more Bond. Yeah, I'm sure that's all it was, really. Um, but yeah, so things like that where they obviously think that we do need to like stir it up and stir the pot up a bit and bring it back in. But when you've got things like like a very classic Q scene in here, um, then you you know you've you, you 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 you're going to ground it back again. But there's lots of little subtle changes in it, like um, you know even down to the fact that that like the, the however subtle you really want to to bring it down to, it's like the fact that it becomes a lot more European. Uh, Bond is driving a BMW. He's wearing Italian suits rather than Savile Row suits. It's 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 those tiny little things that that that, that bring it all sort of uh, that water it down a bit or or change it, move it in a different direction, move with the time. He's wearing an Omega now rather than his Rolex, um, and it's it's obviously most of these are, are, are financially motivated because those are these are the people who pump money into the film. But overall, it gives a different, a slightly different feel, and 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 moves it in a different direction. Having just watched the movie a few hours ago, that struck me the Europeanness of this of this film. Eric Serra's score has a huge amount to do with that, but I also think that the direction as well uh, has mm. something to do with that as well. It just it's got it's got a kind of Luc Besson kind of feel to it. 
Um, I'm certain Martin Campbell didn't do that deliberately, although he may have done. But also, like there's the in the in the uh, in the cold open, you got Bond sort of like using that massive trolley with the gas tanks to sort of escape, and the squeaking of the wheels, that's and lovely. the standoff, yeah. and then everyone standing there where they go. That's Morricone. Sorry, that's Leone for me. That's spaghetti western. That that feels dead European. That. And there's mm-hmm. a lot, the fact that it's like they got they got the French government involved to fund <laughs> some of the movies so that they could use their stealth crafts and the Tiger just felt it felt more like um, it reminded me of those sort of like uh, Alistair MacLean movies of the 1970s that were all basically funded by European movies, but they got Hollywood actors in to, yeah. to play the roles and stuff like that. And it had that kind of feel to it. It's not an unpleasant experience, but it's but it's not quite what we're used to i think as james bond fans maroon moonraker's like that because a lot of it was filmed in france and it was filmed by a a french director of photographer as well so it's not the only bond film to be like that but this is one of them and it feels that way um on imagine secret service has that feel as well i I think um as well um uh, no yes uh leone doing that 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 scene uh, with behind behind the uh, the canisters, I'm I'm now thinking uh, I'm, I'm now recasting Elo Wallach as as, uh, as Urimov now. Yes. <laughs> somebody uh. somebody somebody needs to do a Leone cut of that film, uh, <laughs> and, and uh, with the, with with the Morricone soundtrack, then I think it'll be, yeah. I, I would yeah. watch that. I would yeah, watch, watch the shit out of that. Mm. I uh, I'm a big. Uh, Sergio Leone fan. Um, yeah. You have taste, Gary, so naturally. Naturally, naturally. Um, yeah, I, and where I happened, uh, you gentlemen have obviously pulled me along a little bit, so uh, I reconsider my views on the film that uh, we won't go back to again. Um, but yeah, Terry, we, it's interesting you talk about that European sensibility, and obviously it makes a lot of sense as well, given the 90s actually was probably one of the more pro-European times that, that we've had in Britain. It kind of makes sense that, that Brosnan is playing a lot more, or sorry, Bond is a, is a lot more within that area. And yet, the, Martin Campbell's direction is is fantastic. It could have been very different in one of these what-if moments. Um, I believe that the producers actually approached John Woo um, was one of their choices for direction. And I mean, that Martin Campbell's brilliant, but a John Woo Bond film is is something that uh, is one of those very tantalising what-ifs, and I think it would have been a very, very different GoldenEye. It's difficult to be critical of any of John Woo. I mean, maybe one day we'll have a project in which we might do a John Woo uh, film, um, you know, just a foreshadowing future projects from us. But but he's so stylized that I think that he might have ended up butting heads with 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 Barbara and and Michael G on this, although actually I was watching the um, uh, I was watching the 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 making of documentary on the DVD on the Blu-ray, um, and Martin Campbell's insisted that he was given quite a lot of license for to to make this film. It was they were they trusted him quite a lot to make this film, um, and, and subsequently we found that I think you know that Barbara and, and and Michael G have had you know a lot more control I think over the movie. You know, as it's gone on, and they've, you know, obviously there was that rather, you know, unpleasant, you know, difficulty with Danny Boyle, where they, where they, where they ended up having to cut him loose. So, so, but I, I think about just how stylized John Woo's movies are, and whether or not that might have been too much. I think 
Bond has, as we've discussed repeatedly, Bond has always borrowed heavily from what's going on at the time, particularly, and, you know, not just sort of like in terms of society and culture, but also in terms of filmmaking. So it makes complete sense that they would, but but not to the point where they've lost their own identity. And I would worry that John Woo would, might take them away from there. Were John here arguing his case, he'd say, don't be an idiot. I know what a James Bond film is. Of course, I'd make a James Bond film. Go away, you stupid podcasting man. <laughs> and he'd be yeah, right I mean, as well. Um, we've got, you know, we, we've been the Craig era. We have the more auteur style of, of making, which arguably hasn't detracted, um, I would say, from Bond. But yeah, it, there's. I love some of those bits where you're talking about the what if moments, and that that certainly is one of them. I mean, I let, let's be fair. We would all probably, again, watch the shit out of a John Woo Bond movie yes, for I sure. Um, <laughs> but what ends up there, I don't know. It just it does make me in that little bit make me want to revisit Face Off, which is uh, one of my favourites from the nineties as well. But maybe again, we might leave that for another time, shall we? Um, but yeah, Graham, when we're talking as well, let's now really get into one of the the kind of key bits in there. We've talked about how Bond films from the out, you kind of get an idea what what they are and whether they're confident or not. And Golden Knight is really confident. Um, and for me, part of that is really helped by what is probably one of the strongest pieces of casting throughout the entire film in the whole Bond franchise. Oh, certainly, certainly. And it's almost as if, I mean, they don't exactly give him an easy ride, but uh, most of the, of, the, of the actors who are in this film, although they've got on to, 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 to bigger things, at the time... I think most of them were were pretty much more more known for TV work. Uh, obviously, Robbie Coltrane had been uh, from the eighties and in Cracker and things like that. Sean Bean and Sharp and uh, Lady Chatty's Lover. I think that's where he sort of first broke out. Um, but even Judy Dench, Judy Dench. You know, you think like the great Judy Dench, but really she was doing sitcoms back <laughs> back in in, in the early nineties. And so they get all these people who are amazing in this, and and they come up with with something that that that, that is brilliant. I and mean, yeah, that the the scene with Robbie Coltrane when we're introduced to him is is brilliant. Um, and of course, you know, in my own little head, my own little head canon, you you, you sort of think, oh, well, this is this is he's John Reese Davis from uh, from Living Daylights, isn't he? This is this is. And and wouldn't it have been great if they were the same character, ex KGB agent, now a, a hoodlum, um, and how things have changed? And I suppose really that's what we we we, we are. We we see the 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 passageway there, or if not, we just say, oh okay, well this is someone who is very much like that person, someone who was antagonistic, but also perhaps could work in it, knows which side is bread's bud, and and plays it really really well. Um, yeah, he's, he's not he's not. Uh, an Oscar-winning actor, he, but he he is someone great character actor, and he's been used by people who have won Oscars as, as such. I mean, uh, he does lots of work with um, Kenneth Branagh, doesn't he? I think he was in he was full staff in yeah. um, Branagh's uh, Henry V, wasn't he? Um, and and so like so he's brilliant in it. The choice of Sean Bean is 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 good. Uh, Sean Bean uh, breaking the uh, the uh, Michael Caine role and 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 dispensing with his with his Yorkshire accent there for the film, um, which I suppose works. It makes him more of a of a uh, of uh, a tool of the of the British class system. Um, but he he plays it really well. 
but it's it's the women for me that that, that steal the show in in in, in this film because uh, Isabella Skorupka is fantastic in it. Um, Femke Janssen, who we've already mentioned, is brilliant in her role, and of course Jude, Judy Dench comes in. And the 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 brilliant thing about Judy Dench is, is she she has that role for well, how long is it? It's almost twenty years, isn't it? That that, that she she's M for. And we go through this whole cycle of 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 what she's meant to be. She comes in in pretty much the same mould as C does in Spectre. This one this this person who is like trust the numbers, we've got the analysts on this and and someone who is diametrically opposed to gut feel bond. But she plays it brilliantly and she plays she she plays it as an equal to Bond, uh, across the the uh, desk, there is a, a wonderful. She gets she hits it straight away, and and it's just brilliant. Um, I think she was only on set for a couple of days, and and to actually get that and nail that was is brilliant. Yeah, I mean it's a testament as well. I mean we all know that she's she's a great actor as well, um, but it's a real testament to to Judy Dench that when you know you've essentially got the franchise gets rebooted again. She gets kept on because, you know, she's almost too good not to. You, you don't want to jettison absolutely everything. And when you've got a, you know, I, I would probably argue, and I think if you go back and listen to um, Our World Is Not Enough commentary, Judy Dench is probably one of the best things in The World Is Not Enough um, because she has a little bit more more screen time. And uh, yeah, she she is one of the uh, one of the saving graces of that film. Um, and Terry, let's let's again just go a little bit more into uh, into Sean Bean as well. Um, you know, we've got uh, his portrayal of Yanis again. When we've talked villainry, um, which we have done a lot, um, he's not sort of always necessarily near the top. But as a villain for your opening um, your opening uh, reboot, I think. For me, he's he's absolutely note perfect for it, and you wouldn't get Goldeneye without Sean Bean in it. I, I just can't imagine any other actor in that role because he just inhabits it so much. Yeah, no, I'm. I wonder whether or not probably you might you might find someone, but I th- I, th- I think what's great about Sean, Sean Bean was that if I am not mistaken, and I may well be mistaken, but. I think he was a guy who was one of those guys who was often touted as a potential James Bond himself. And I think that that that, that adds something to it. Um had he been uh had his hair been dark and he had he been a you know a, a, and he and he'd had the classic bond hair and eyes then he may well have ended up but you know they didn't want to go with a with a lighter haired bond until a little bit later that's just how conservative bond fans really are small c conservative of course. Um but but it's it's still it goes into this whole thing. It's taking the whole you know James Bond has met his match thing to the absolute extreme. It's this the idea of of playing against someone who 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 is a kind of mirror image of you. And sometimes they they try and work that with Bond movies, don't they? I think I think the most the most memorable example is Scaramanga, isn't it? That idea of a of a contemporary, uh, although you know maybe. Maybe I think the character probably a bit older, but this was like to the absolute maximum, wasn't it? Um, a, for, a former double O agent and a double O agent, a serving double O agent, roughly the same age, same amount of experience. I think I think Grant is the is the what is is the one yes. he's most like, isn't he? But I think 
the difference is, is obviously Sean Bean plays a much, much more active role in the movie. He's the he's the master henchman. Yeah. He's the he's he's the he's the villain because he doesn't sit in a chair stroking a white pussy cat and like controlling things. He's a lot more hands on. Yeah, you know, and 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 so the confrontation between the two is more uh, is more brutal, more physical, and of course the backstory of the two characters is is absolutely crucial. And the reveal of Yanis, you know, in the I mean that scene is is amazing, you know that the imagery and and the symbolism that's coming through in this film that are standing there amidst all of these you know retired sort of like statues of the former communist past, very much in that kind of. You know, this kind of uh, symbolically saying, you know, these are the ruins of the James Bond franchise that we're standing here. And James Bond is being confronted with his his weakness, his, his blindness to the fact that, you know, his close colleague, his friend, you know, his brother in arms was a was all this time a traitor uh, right under his nose. Um, and and it's it, it it means something, and 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 it's and and it, it, they these are the moments where you just have that little that extra depth to the movie that that other Bond films don't have. Um, and Sean Bean, of course, handles it perfectly. And this is the thing that I think needs to be said about Brosnan as well is that every everyone he interacts with in this movie, he has great chemistry with, and that's that's Pierce it's because Pierce is a really really good actor. Yeah, he brings it up. Um, and Graham, I think there's part of part of me feels as well that the um, the reveal of of um, Yanis um, is probably what um, the, the team were trying to aim for in Spectre with Blofeld, but uh, really didn't quite get that note quite right from for me. <laughs> uh yeah well yeah god knows what they were, they were try, try, trying to do there but yeah terry's right i mean revealing him in the middle of of what is uh what comes across as being a graveyard it's not actually it's a dump but it it it, it, it the director makes it like a a monumental uh, graveyard and and yes around there with all the the broken statues and uh, it's, it's very Ozymandias there um, but yeah it's 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 brilliant and 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 the way he comes out and and there is this whole thing about whenever Bond has met his match there's always a weakness to 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 them to the ones who are meant to be his peers the one where he's he's it's basically his class carries him through and and that's what happens this is the first time when that facade starts to crack away from from, from Yanis and he just becomes progressively weaker as the as the film goes on because he's you know he's just a two bit bank robber that's all he is is that a little bit unkind because i mean he's obviously there's the Lienz cossack thing isn't there and he does he does mention in the movie to say in the movie that he's he's taking revenge for 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 what happens here so so i mean i mean maybe there's the, i don't think he's quite so shallow as that but but i mean ultimately yes i mean this is his whole plan is to basically make a shit ton of cash and you know presumably move to another island or i guess so i mean although i would imagine that the the constabulary will be hot on his heels irrespective of whether he succeeded or failed but um yeah it's um i mean again it's part of where i think we will probably discuss in in latter films where that uh lack of uh, obvious motive uh, and, and villainry potentially uh, is one of the the weak points of the latter parts of the Bond franchise but um graham how well do you think this film has aged 
given that we're you know we're getting on close for for 30 years actually not too far mm. this this is a bit difficult because this no film is more indelibly imprinted on my head than this one as far as the sets and and the setup and and everything is concerned because of the video game that went along with it on the N64 which I played for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours. So all of those scenes, it always when when they when they're walking around places, even the bloody library, I walk because that bloody library level was, God, it was a bit annoying, um, but not as annoying as the tank chase uh, level. But still, I played it over and over again. But things like the master control room, it's perfect. And it was like the first time I'd ever played a, a, a film from a, a video game from a film where they had gone to such detail in, in the sets that you were walking around the exact same sets as, as are in the film. So that, for me, that's, that's, that twists the whole view about how this is, how well this is dated. I suppose as well. Given my age, I was what mid twenties when this came out, and so I'm very comfortable with the whole premise of this film and the and the subjects it covers. And so, really, I will look at this because I still think I'm a young man, even though I'm not, obviously, uh, and and think, well, yeah, there's no problem with this film. Whereas someone obviously much younger than me would look at this and think, oh my god, this is this is ridiculous. What are you doing watching this? But I think that centrally, this is uh, this is one of those films that that you don't or certainly don't have to apologise for. I don't think. Um, right, there's there's probably some. It 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 does seem in some ways that it's actually quite empowering. I think it it does feel like it's empowering the the uh, the female characters, whether or not. Um, Modern day viewers, uh, younger viewers, would look at it and think the same way is another thing entirely. And I, I don't think they would, but depends on how uh, uh, on what your own worldview is, I guess. Um, personally, I, I I don't. I think I think this is one that I'd happily show someone. If someone said said to me, "Oh, I want to watch a Bond film. I've never seen one before," and they were in their I don't know thirties or something like that. I'd feel happy for them to sit down and watch Goldeneye because I don't think anything horrific in it would happen that would make them judge me less. I hope. Mm, Terry, what uh, I was going to say, do you do you have the same feeling about the uh, the aging of the film? Yeah, one of its biggest strengths is, of course, it's 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 very there's very little CGI in this film. Uh, stunt works are still stunt works. Massive massive props to Wayne Michael who did the the swallow dive off the dam. <laughs> and when I actually did it, you know, like watching that for the first thinking, this is insane. That's incredibly dangerous. That's <laughs> like, what a way to make a statement and what a way to introduce. So, so the, the film holds up there because of, because of the stunt work. And that's one of the reasons why the James Bond films generally hold up. The older ones hold up is because the stunt work is authentic. Um, and so you're not, you're not seeing the lines in special effects that you do get to see over over time. Yeah, the um, the emancipation of the female characters, I think, is a great move and a necessary move. There is a degree of, look, we're emancipating women going on, um, which is, I think, probably a little bit too obvious now. I don't think that that would necessarily hold up. It's much, it's much different. It is better now. It is genuinely better now. So... Um, but 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 it, it's so there's there is a bit of that going on. Some of the 
equally some of the uh, referential self-referential stuff was a little bit on the nose but again I felt that these were okay for the time but actually to be honest with you much like Graham I don't know if I can objectively say whether the film holds up you'll over time you'll have to ask a younger person really to do that but there's no reason why it shouldn't do you'd have to just take it for what it is it's a product of its time but it's still a watchable movie I would say yeah i uh, what the one thing that that obviously does date it is the technical specification she gives for her computers yes. when she goes to the to the <laughs> ibm funny. shop which which is hilarious the the, <laughs> the fact that, that that she wants those state of the art uh, 14400 uh, modems which <laughs> uh, yes for with a full with a full 14k per second <laughs> easy. download speed easy, easy there <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got, I all the porn geek, you can download geeking out of the first like, Mission Impossible film when Bing Raven saying whoa we were talking about computers oh the 686s oh wow <laughs> <laughs> but you know yeah that's that's geek that, that's geek that's geek humour I mean the, we haven't talked about obviously we haven't talked about On a Top yet who I think probably exemplifies in the same way that M does exemplify the kind of the changing in roles of female characters in the franchise and the changes of perspective and 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 and, and positions that fe- that the female characters are going to have in a franchise going forward. Of course, Famke Janssen is the Bond henchman and and offers and offers a great deal to the film. Yeah, I, yeah. I it, it I think that the way you can you can measure her against is look at this is nineties equivalent of an emancipated Bond villain. And whereas in the in the eighties you had uh, you had Mayday, didn't mm. you? Grace Jones, and that's the very much the eighties emancipated uh, Bond villain, isn't it? Really, yeah. Is that, and uh, and you see how in just a decade those ideals have changed. Yeah, they're both psychopaths, but okay. They're, they're, but the, this is what the filmmakers believe is what you want to you want to see as a strong female villain, basically. Yeah, it's um, on the top. I think again for you know, and I think you're you're completely right, Graham, in terms of you know the well, just the kind of the the signposting of emancipation. Probably the only thing lacking was a big neon sign dropping from above with an arrow going "Look emancipated" on the screen. Um, that's pretty much the only thing that was missing from from this film. Um, but yeah, on the top is is a great character for me. Stands up, and you know when you look at the. Uh, you know, not that we're about to do a, a World Cup of Hedge, but if we did, I suspect she would be uh, very, very high up there because, you know, you look at all the hench, hench people that, that um, have populated the franchise. And, yeah, she is certainly, for me, probably one of the most memorable ones as well. Again, when you think of those kind of iconic Bond moments, and each film has them, even, even the slightly uh, less good Bond films have them, um, probably one of the first things that will spring to mind for anybody who is um, <clears throat> who is uh, a big fan of GoldenEye is probably Famke Janssen um, and those scenes between her and Pierce Brosnan. Um, they're very, very iconic for, for this particular film. The other thing that I wanted to pick up actually, Graham, was when you're talking about um, the N64 game, which obviously had a, a big part in this. This came out in a couple of years later, actually, than GoldenEye. But it was, you know, around the time of Tomorrow Never Dies being released. Um, it did something which I don't think uh, Bond has necessarily had before or maybe even after, in that it suddenly made GoldenEye 
very, very cool for that younger audience. So I was in my teens when this came, when GoldenEye came out. Um, and yeah, obviously as a teenage boy who's been raised, uh, this is brilliant. Um, and you know, I can't, first one that I saw um, properly at the cinema came out absolutely buzzing. Um, so it had that element into it, but then you've also got, you know, the 90s where gaming culture has really come a long way. Um, when you get into the 90s, you know, the home console system is really well established. Multiplayer games, um, you know, we're obviously not at the stage of, of being able to do what, you know, Fortnite can do now. But you're at a place where, um, you know, this is a great game, but it's also one that actually makes Bond seem very, very cool because it takes stuff like Doom in the past and, and ports it into an area that everybody's familiar with. Gameplay is so strong that suddenly you've got a whole generation. Um, and I think probably if you speak to a lot of Bond fans my age, if you ask them to name their favourite film, they will probably put Goldeneye very, very close up there. And also I think a lot of that is because most of them would have had Goldeneye on the N64 as well. So it's... um. I think this is probably one of the most interesting films in terms of culture as a whole, because it's it's one that actually properly embraces what was essentially a a youth culture, I say youth culture movement, but gaming was, was now like properly mainstream um, in a way that it wasn't really back in the 80s at all because of the home console system. And suddenly you've got this brilliant franchise, recognisable, put into to something that you know teenagers are going to be playing and i think personally i think that actually probably did a lot to carry the expectation for the latter films which weren't quite as good because people like oh yeah but goldeneye it's fine bond is still cool because of goldeneye i I'm, i may be sort of like mixing up my memories here because i, I haven't really thought about it to a great extent but from what i think of in the 90s is that films and games had a very strange relationship um films made made pretty rank video games and and uh video games made some pretty awful films like uh, who remembers bob hoskins super mario brothers um or or the street my street, street fighter movie mm -hmm. yes yes there is that one as well um yeah so so th those ones that, I think there was a Mortal Kombat film as well wasn't it was there somewhere it really in... was yeah yeah there, no, should, I never there shouldn't have been yeah uh, I ne was. never saw that one and of course it goes on and on and by the time it gets to Tomb Raider being made that that's not bad really compared to what it, what had preceded it um but the film but the the film franchise uh, games were, were were always an afterthought they were always just a basic cash in um, I, I seem to remember on the Super Nintendo, the Star Wars uh, time was 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 pretty decent. That was that was that was pretty pretty good. That's there was an Indiana exception. Jones one as well, wasn't there? Which again. was there was an Indiana Jones one there as well, which was okay. But but yeah, it was the it it, it was the, the the Star Wars one was was good. That was but other than that, you know, everything else was pretty ropey. But this was was perfect. This was a lot. A lot I know a lot of people who say, well, the game is much better than the film. Which you never heard. You never, ever, ever heard. And yet, you're right, Gary. This introduced people a lot to the franchise and a lot to, to, to the film as well. Um, but I, I do remember people saying at the time, say, yeah, I much prefer the game to the, to, the, to, to the film, which was a real sea change for me because beforehand games i you know i'd come from like pong and pac-man and like this was just something that, that, that was a part of them there wasn't a narrative on there apart from don't get eaten by ghosts 
That was that was basically it. And then all of a sudden, you get a a, a, a filmic game like Goldeneye. Of course, you know you look back at it now, and it's and, and it's and it, it's very muddy, and it's it's really creaking. It's really pushing the limits of the technology at the time. But it is really cool. And you're right, it it it, it taps into that whole sort of Doom um, uh, game, which was phenomenally popular. Phenomenal, but which would also go on to become a film, wouldn't it? Or well, and and would also be uh, be uh, the um, the creative starting point for a lot of directors as well. A lot of the, the uh, things came from that. It wasn't just just Goldeneye that did that. Um, so yeah, there wasn't there wasn't necessarily anything that was groundbreaking in the game, but the fact that it tied in with the film so well made it. Made it pivotal as far as I was concerned, anyway, and actually changed the way I looked at games. Uh, can I jump in there? Because I mean, I didn't play the game nearly as much as you did, Graham, because um, <laughs> I didn't have a Nintendo sixty four; I had a PlayStation one. Um, and and but but can I just say that the one I think one of the reasons why that that worked as well is actually Eric Serra's soundtrack, because Eric Serra's soundtrack is quite there's quite a lot of, elect- of electronica in Eric Serra's soundtrack which transferred nicely to the 64 game. Because if yes. you remember, the 64, the problem with the 64 was the music, the sound was rubbish. The, yeah. By comparison to the PS1, it was rubbish. Yeah. It, was, it was actually perfectly fine, but it was rubbish by comparison to, to, to the PS1. But, but, it, but actually the minimalist soundtrack worked really well and worked extremely well and added some real atmosphere to mm. to that game and made it really playable it was really eerie and and and, and tense and, and exciting to play as a as 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 part of that as well and so these decisions that actually a lot of people kind of sort of like lament about the golden eye particularly eric Serra's score actually in a way it transferred quite nicely into this game which yes and i just echo i won't go any further but i will echo what graham and you have said it the the game the golden eyes legacy is 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 probably more actually the impact that it had on the gaming industry than than necessarily that it did on the band the bond franchise um that's how that that's how important i think that that game was yeah it's um i mean as i say somebody who worked in electronics boutique in the the 90s as my saturday uh job yeah it was um, you. You suddenly saw these kind of games that were uh, also linked into films that where they were just getting returned, returned, returned because they were really, really bad. And Golden Knight, every every parent that was coming in was uh, was asking for Golden Knight. They were asking for an N sixty four for their kids. So, yeah, it, it definitely left its mark. Um, and yeah, it's it's certainly again, as I say, I know a lot of people who are a very similar age to me who will name Goldeneye as probably one of their favourites, um, which is is perfectly valid because as we've said, it's a really really good film. But um, Terry, can you understand why this particular film is so beloved of many people within the uh, the Bond franchise, whether they are they are young whipsnappers or uh, or slightly more uh, seasoned Bond watchers? Yeah, because it's a it's a it's a powerful film. It's a film of substance and it's a film of emotion, um, and also it's a film that happened for a lot of Bond fans of our vintage who have seen quite a bit of Bond beforehand, but were still quite young. You know, there've been six years, and we I, I was I've, we've said this before. Genuinely, at times, didn't think James Bond was coming back. Hugely grateful that it was back, and then even more grateful for the fact that it was good. That it was really good. It was a strong outing. 
So it's got a lot, and you, those emotions carry with you all the way through. If I'm being completely honest with you, the where I am at the moment with my with my enjoyment of James Bond films, it's probably not up there as one of my most the one that I would reach for to watch. There's other movies that I'd watch, frankly, worse James Bond films that I would watch instead, because that's just where I currently am. But in the past, this film has been like top. Top two, top one, even. You know, and, and I think I would never argue with anyone who said that this was the best James Bond film that there's been because, because there's really good reasons to say why there is. It's brilliantly directed, it's brilliantly cast, it's got a great script, it's got a great story, it's got all of the elements of a James Bond film that you want in there. There's very, very few things that let you down, that, that let it down. I keep going on about the soundtrack, but I know that people have strong feelings about the soundtrack. But actually, this, this also made the statement that James Bond was back and was changing. And I think it's powerful and important that they did that. Um, and, and, and I think, and I can totally understand why people hold it in the regard that it does. It totally deserves it. It's a quality film. How uh, how beloved is, can you un- can you understand as well? Do you go along with uh, with Terry's side in terms of how why so many people will will rate this in their top three, even top one? Yeah, I I can. I as as Terry said, the, the the gap there says a lot. There, I mean, it there was a, there would have been a lot of people introduced to 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 this film for the first time for a lot more people. Brosnan would have been their first Bond, their first cinematic Bond. And that has a real powerful uh, effect going forward. So I, I, I think, especially with people uh, who I talk to about Bond, who are who are a lot younger than me, and I'm talking younger than you, there, Gary, because you, you you are significantly young younger than us. But um, I think, yeah, people who who are introduced in their in their early teens, yeah. If if you were fourteen, go going to see 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 um, uh, Goldeneye, you would have been what eight seven when you went to see. Uh, if you no, you wouldn't have gone to go and see License to Kill because you had to be fifteen to get in and see that. So you wouldn't have been able to see that anyway. You would have been six when 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 the Living Daylights coming. You wouldn't have been to go to that. You would have gone to see I don't know Aladdin. What was what was what was big in nineteen eighty nine? Yeah, probably something like that. Um, so <laughs> yeah. And of course, if you were older, you would have got to see RoboCop. So yeah, that's lost Anyway, where am I? Where am I? Anyway, I'm here. <laughs> yes, I can see why people love it so much because it's a great film. So I mean, it doesn't surprise me if someone says Pierce Brosnan is my second favorite Bond or even favorite Bond mm. because that's where where you come. But it really has got to be down to one film, and it's this one. Yes. Yeah. And 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 Terry, I was going to say that is. You know, we're going to get into into the rest of Brosnan in in subsequent podcasts, but um, I think it's probably fair to say that the uh, the the opening film set the bar very very high, um, and yeah, you can understand why people love Brosnan. So you know why Brosnan has a lot of love as a Bond, but um, yeah, if he never made another film after this one, you, you can suspect his legacy might be a little bit spot stronger. Yeah, in a way that George Lazenby's wasn't, for example. Yeah, it would have been sort of like a, oh my God, what might have been? And of course, then it, for those of us that lament the direction that Bond never travelled because Lazenby left on a mes- and, and our domestic service never got its sequel, we can always think about the Brosnan films and think, well, what, you know, maybe they would have 
got worse may I maybe this you know mm. so so these are things to these are things to think about these James Bond sliding doors moment moments I mean I've got it's I think it's a real shame and we'll we'll we'll, we'll go into this more but you know it, it, it but yeah this is this is the pinnacle of the Brosnan era and it's his first one and in that respect it's a shame people might argue that maybe there's some value in 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 this being his only one and they should never have bothered with the rest. But, you know, for those of us who, who, who like, I mean, like I've got a lot of personal affection for tomorrow never dies, despite it's many flaws, but I do. And there are people who like me that, and of course there are people, there's, there's one guy who's written a whole book on die another day. And who the hell am I to tell that guy that, you know, his, his favorite James Bond film should never exist. I wrote, I read a really robust defense of die another day, actually. Um, I, I can't remember what I'll have to look it up and see if I can find it and share it. It wasn't that um, robust. I mean, I don't, I'm not buying it, but I mean, it, it was, <laughs> I, I appreciate the robust. I, I like it when people go, no, 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 let's look at this again. Come on, let's do that. Because, you know, you know, we've got enough time in our lives to be able to do that, haven't we? I mean, it beats playing golf, doesn't it? <laughs> it certainly does i will be um i'll be interested when we get to uh to die another day because i don't think i have actively watched that film in about 20 mad uh, 15 years um so yeah that will be that will be an interesting experience for me but yeah i i know what you mean terry because again this was my first cinematic bond albeit i had been raised up a bit more on the connery films um so that was my that was my choice but uh yeah i'm i again as you can tell, dear listener, will we be heading into Tomorrow Never Dies um, as the next one? And I'm I'm looking forward to that because it's been a while since I've watched it. Um, and that was another one that I saw at the cinema. And I have, you know, my my feelings towards that film are probably more positive than others. Um, but yeah, just to, to wrap up, Graham, um, just because I think there's we've got a lot of love for GoldenEye. What is your... I guess, kind of, why do you love Goldeneye so much, given, you know, where, where we're at at the moment? Because we talk, we can be critical of Bond films, but let's just go in, finally, for celebration, what is the thing that you just love about this movie? It's so much fun. I think that's that's really what, what really carries it through, is that there is... There, it, it, it never dips... There, and it has a lot of change of pace in it. It, it. it comes and goes. It's not. It's not just constant, constant action or constant, constant jeopardy. It it has uh, ups and downs in it, which is which is what I like in a Bond film. I like that that sort of change of pace, and it allows the cast to excel. And that's what this film does. Uh, I I I think you have to credit the the director there. Um, with with the way that that he he has he presents the film, um, but also as well with the filmmakers and and just everyone involved in it, they've they've obviously gone in there wanting to make a Bond film, not saying right, okay, everything's everything's new now. We've 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 got to update this. We've got to get with the times. It 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 isn't one of those monoliths that is in that in that that dump in the middle of St Petersburg. It it is. It is there, and it, and it and it offers the potential of more Bond. Daniel Craig's Bond is born in this film. I'm I'm convinced of it, and everything that's happened since then. This is really the first Wilson Broccoli um, 
film that they that they really have the reins on and what everything we see for, from from then until now was born here and i think that's what i love about it because you can see everything that that happens all the good stuff and some of the bad stuff as well that happens it's here right in this film mm. Terry, what's your your overall feelings towards the film? You know, why why do you have uh, the the love for for Goldeneye? Well, again, I mean, it, because I mean, I think as Graham has really pretty much said, it it, it Pierce brings, and in fact, M- Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli, you know, it's this this is their first proper film, if you like, and it and it foreshadows the emotional depth of the character that we that we finally get when James, when Daniel Craig comes along but we see you know, there's there's doubt in James Bond there's 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 sorrow in James Bond he's not just this sort of you know machine that goes around killing people and doing good and saving the world that that he has doubts and he has maudlin moments um they they're not they're not front and center but they're definitely there and he opens up the idea that you no know, we can't you know, they make an authentic James Bond film and they're not afraid to. When, as Graham's right, the easiest thing they could have done is actually say, well, we need to change the time and so we'll change everything. They didn't. They said, no, we're still going to make an authentic James Bond film. But they acknowledged that there were probably that, that there was a lack of depth of the character that modern audiences, contemporary audiences weren't going to buy. And so that, that's the part that changed. And we saw that in GoldenEye. Um, and and that's one of the numerous reasons why why it's an extremely powerful film and should and is and is regarded as one of the top ones. And Graham's absolutely right. Yeah, it's the it's the first of the new wave of James Bond films that we don't really actually properly see, sadly, until Daniel Craig. And that's I suppose the only sadness again. And we'll again we'll be able to have the chance to talk about this in depth. The missed opportunities of of Pierce's subsequent films because the actor was clearly up to it, and that's a shame. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, we would obviously love to hear your views as well. If you have people who disagree with Goldeneye being uh, one of the, the top films within the franchise, you can let us know. Uh, you can tell us how wrong you are by uh, messaging us, atting us on Twitter, OtroPod. Uh, we also have a, a Facebook as well. And uh, please do, if you listen to this uh, and want more hot takes on Bonds, do subscribe to us through your podcasting platform of choice as well. Um, so, yeah, gentlemen, next up uh, in the next pod of the Odd Job Pod, we have Tomorrow Never Dies. How are we feeling about that as a little bit of a, a preview into it? Yeah, can't wait. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm I'm genuinely looking forward to it. It's one that I think it will have a reassessment in my mind. Um, and I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to reassess the other two. But again, that may change. If two men can convince me that Moonraker is a good film, then uh, who knows what is going to happen? There are there are so many opinions. We, we, we literally did an entire commentary on The World Is Not Enough because I was convinced that we could convince ourselves that this film was a hidden gem. And, and it was toilet. And it was toilet. So... No, that's not going to happen. So, <laughs> yes, it will be. Uh, it will be. I don't think our opinions will have changed that much when we come to it. Anyway, um, just remains for me to thank uh, Terry and Graham as ever for your company through this uh, hour and a bit of Bond chat. Um, thank you very much, dear listeners, as well for sticking with us. And uh, and again, I hope that you've enjoyed uh, revisiting Goldeneye as well. As I said, uh, the Odd Job Pod will be back with Tomorrow Never Dies. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye. I am invincible.
We never talked about Boris, did we? We never talked about Boris. <laughs> Give me the cold, Give me Natalia. The cold. Give me the colds. <laughs> <laughs> You sit on it, but you can't take it with you. <laughs> Sorry, One yes. thing that I did I didn't say that I was um I just kept thinking when you were talking about the tech cram. Bet Gigi Dential M um, never had to endure the uh ding 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 sound that we're all so used to logging onto the internet in the nineties. <laughs> <laughs> you would never get never get that in MI6 at all. And you know, uh, Boris would be standing for none of that whatsoever. <laughs> he's definitely not got that he's no fan of AOL. No, he 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 had a, a an ISDN line. That's what he had. <laughs>